This episode is dedicated to the founder of The Natural Gourmet, Anne-Marie Colvin. I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the world's only podcast dedicated to plant based cookbooks and learning more about the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder, and he's the Mac to my cheese. Say hello to my husband and producer of the podcast, Mr. Rosetti. That's me. That's you. I'm the Mac to your cheese. <laughs> You're the cheese of my Mac. Aww. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am good. Oh, yes, very yes. excited we, for this episode. We got, we got a long one, so I'm going to dive right in. This is a very special episode for me, and there is a lot of ground to cover. Uh, you may end up listening to this episode in parts, and that's fine. It's a long one, so let's dive right in. The book this week is The Complete Vegan Cookbook by the Natural Gourmet Center. Over 150 whole foods, plant-based recipes and techniques. And we actually have two different interviews to share. This book is so special to me because, uh, well, it's it's the book released by the culinary school I went to, the Natural Gourmet Institute. And when I decided to go to NGI, I went very much because I love cooking, you know, vegan food, and I wanted to break a little break from theater, and I wanted to learn more about vegan cooking. And it was that simple to me at the time. Yeah, and I and I remember like all of this very vividly, and we we both have a shared view of finding vegan food that satisfies cor- uh, carnivores, all people, uh, the pizza, burger, and mac and cheese of it all. And and I remember that was very much your food aesthetic uh, when you decided to go to NGI. Yes. So imagine my surprise when I was immersed in a world of how food can work as medicine and food can be not only a beneficial tool for your health, but also learn how you really are, what you eat, sort of that philosophy. If you are feeling crappy, you know, look at the food you're eating. If you're feeling vibrant and full of energy, what was on your plate that day? My mind was blown at this philosophy. Yeah, I I also think this was a special experience because you made a lot of great friendships and connections at the Natural Gourmet Institute, like Ashley. My girl Ashley. Who's been on the podcast. um, Yes. uh, You know, now lives in what feels like a world away in Uh Taipei, uh, is still one of your closest friends to this day for, I guess, what is that? Eight? Yeah. Eight years? Eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, it's crazy. We have worked together on my last two books. She did all of the amazing photos and now has a book of her own. It was the friends I made and also the instructors I worked with there that shaped a new vision of my perception of food. So I still have pizza, mac and cheese and burgers. Don't get me wrong. Praise. But the philosophy of this school, which was founded by Anne-Marie Colbin, changed my life forever. Yeah, and uh, Anne-Marie Colvin unfortunately passed away in 2015, uh, but she did fi- uh, found the natural, or she founded the Natural Gourmet uh, as a cooking school in her apartment in the 70s, which was it. so cool, and became a trailblazer for the health-forward movement of cooking. Um, Dr. Colvin was a, was a healthy food visionary. She referred to his, her work as natural foods cooking and summed up her philosophy in seven principles. Good food, she said, should be seasonal, local, whole, traditional, balanced, fresh, and delicious. Yes, she won numerous awards, including an International Association of Culinary Professionals, Seagram Book Award, and the Avon Small Business Administration Women of Enterprise Award. Amory was also granted a Fearless Food Advocate Award for her work as a leader in the realm of whole foods and health-supportive cooking. 
Anne-Marie authored or co-authored multiple books, including Food and Healing, The Natural Gourmet, The Book of Whole Meals, The Whole Food Guide to Strong Bones. Uh, her work has also been featured in The New York Times, Elle, Good Housekeeping, uh, Natural Health, Longevity, and New Age Journal. That's right. And this book, The Complete Vegan Cookbook by the Natural Gourmet Center, is a continuation and tribute to the road that Anne-Marie paved so fearlessly. It was very important for me when deciding to do this book uh, for an episode to get as close of a glimpse as we could into how it all began. We're so fortunate today to share a conversation I had with both of Anne-Marie Colbin's daughters. Here they are to fill us in on the beginnings and philosophy of their mother, Anne-Marie, and the Natural Gourmet. This is Kyla and Shauna Colbin. All right, I'm here with Kyla and Shauna Colbin. Thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to chat with you both. Honored to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, yes, I love this book. And of course, we're here to talk about your mother, Anne-Marie Colbin, the founder of The Natural Gourmet. We are covering the complete vegan cookbook, or as I kind of like to say, the Natural Gourmet book, uh, this week on our, podca- our podcast. And Anne-Marie herself wrote many books, including Food and Healing, The Natural Gourmet, Whole Foods Guide to Strong Bones, Food in Our Bones, and The Book of Whole Meals. Am I leaving anything out there? I think that's pretty much all of them. I've got them. I've got a stack of them right behind me. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot there. So I want to make sure. And it was, you know, great reading for us, of course, during the program. And to me, this book, The Complete Vegan Cookbook, is an extension of the tools your mother offered through the years and her own body of literary contributions. It's It's a celebration of her philosophies. How did the complete vegan cookbook come to fruition? Um, so it's kind of interesting because I, I look at the complete vegan as the cooking school in a book. Um, and so it's, that's, I think that's the appeal of the book itself. Um, it's just really a tome to 40 years of the Natural Gourmet Institute. Um, and it came to fruition uh not really by our doing the, uh, I think the team at the time uh, knew that we were going to transition over to ice and um, wanted to have this sort of a swan song and, and put it all together. And it's all the, it's all the OG, you know, everything. When we um, signed the deal for the book, we didn't know we were transitioning to ice Really? It was when we were, yeah, yeah. It was when we were, <clears throat> when we were heading into our 40th anniversary. The school was founded in 1977, and we'd definitely be remiss if we didn't uh, give a shout out to John Sitnarski, who sure. was the CEO of Natural Gourmet at the time, and uh, he really pushed to get this book deal. Uh, to happen. And, you know, as Shauna said, to encapsulate kind of 40 years of the school. And then, of course, just as the book, just before the book launched was when we knew that we were transitioning over. And, uh, and so we just have this incredible gratitude to be able to bring that stage of our mother's legacy to, um, uh, to memory, to commemorate that stage of our mother's legacy with this amazing book. I remember the timing of all that. And I remember just being like, whoa, all this is happening sort of all at once. And I, I'm curious, how, what are your feelings on the transition of, of the program going over to ICE? Oh, uh, thrilled about it. Uh, primarily because our, our people are there, our chefs um, were able to transition over. Um, 
we're able to keep the, you know, keep the legacy, the content of 40 years going. Um, you know, currently my son is, is in the program. And so it's, um, that's, yes! that's pretty awesome. Um, and, um, and I think, you know, I think that it, it was, it was just an, a, a way for us to keep it going without having to run the school at my, you know, Kyla, you live in, uh, you know, across the world in New Zealand and I live in Colorado and it just wasn't um, feasible for us to, to continue on. Yeah. And, you know, I would add to that our mother's vision was always that the school should last a hundred years and um, when one of the things I always loved about that vision was that implicit within it is the awareness that it has to outlast her, right? It has to be multi-generational. And when it's multi-generational, that also implies we have to be prepared for it to take varying forms uh, as the as the years go on. And I feel just so grateful that we were able to partner with an organization like ICE mm-hmm. that is so professionally run, that is has such incredible, you know, modern equipment and systems and is so well set up to carry on this legacy in a way that not only can it continue, but it can continue to grow. Yes. And, you know, when our mother started the school, uh, her views were kind of fringe, like in the seventies, that was like the, the sort of radical fringe was into this stuff, the, the, the hippies off to the side. And of course that's not true today. Now this is, you know, fully mainstream way of cooking and eating and thinking and, uh, and, and it needs a, a different approach. And so one of the ways I always describe it is that we kind of had, you know, our school was like the health food section of the supermarket and we partnered with a supermarket that had no health food section. And, and it really has been a, a, a fantastic relationship. It's so true. And I'm so happy to hear that. And when I, I've been, I went to visit after the transition and, um, and I, went on a tour with uh, Chef uh, Barbara Rich from Natural Gourmet. And it was really a lot of us, you know, former students and myself were like, I can't believe this is happening, of course. And then I go there and I, I'm, I, I realized very quickly what a gift it was to be transitioning into that space and how it's only, like you said, it's it's allowing this new chapter, right? This chapter of growth, a new, a new which is what this school's been about all along. I mean, let's chart about, talk, talk about what started as the Natural Gourmet Cookery School in 1977, later the Natural Gourmet Institute for Health and Culinary Arts, and now the Natural Gourmet Center at ICE, your mother's philosophies remain strong to this day. I was hoping you might shed some light sort of on your mother's legacy and how the Natural Gourmet Cookery School even came about back in the day. Oh, well, it was an, <laughs> I think it was a need for her to, um, work work from home or work independently and so she can partially so she can raise us and not have to hire nannies etc cetera, etc cetera. and so she started uh teaching cooking classes in our kitchen in new york city in our small apartment in new york city and I love so it. kyle and i would be sleeping um or trying to sleep at least and smelling, you know, I remember never eating tempura for like the first, you know, 10 years of my life because I, <laughs> I would smell the, the tempura and it would keep me awake. And so 
you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't like, a great well, memory at the time. Yeah. yeah. But we would, I mean, so she would teach at night while we were in, while we were sleeping in the other room. Uh, we would sit on students, you know, the laps and uh, students in the class. Um, that's where she started. And, um, and it was just out of that need as a single mom in New York. Yeah. I remember her, um, when she won the women of enterprise award, uh, this would have been maybe, uh, almost 30 years ago, she won an award from Avon and the small business administration for women who've overcome hardship to become a success in small business. And, uh, they made a little video uh, of her, which I still have, which is just a fantastic video. And one of the things she talks about is that one of the things she had going for her was total commitment. Like she basically, she didn't have a plan B. This wasn't like her side gig or, you know, her like, you know, uh, extra hustle. This was, she was just, she was all in. She's yeah. like, this is this, I've got two kids. I've got, I'm a, I'm a single mom. Uh, I've got to feed them. I've got to find a way to look after the kids. This is what I know how to do. This is what I believe in. I'm going to put it out to the world. And she was so fully expressing herself through that work that I think it really drew people to her. And, you know, Shana said, started in our apartment and then grew to a a, another apartment in the same building, mm-hmm. uh, so a residential building on the Upper West Side on the wow. ground floor, and then Until stayed there until out. the neighbors started to complain. You got kicked downtown to where it was until the end. Wow, I, and that's honest. the The story of all of this was when we, you know, when we went to the chef's training program. There, my fellow classmates and myself. Of course, we hear the story of how, and that was as inspiring as the food part of it, right? <laughs> like this tenacity behind, like building this business, you know, in in an apartment, and then the next apartment, and all of that. And did you say you guys eventually got kicked out? Is, yeah, were people complaining? Yes. <laughs> They find they found out she was trying to run a business out of the apartment, the residential apartment. Uh huh. Um, and so that's when she moved to Chelsea. After that, um, wow. But also, you other say, people were trying to sleep with that tempura smell too. They couldn't do it. They couldn't. Yeah, exactly. It was. <laughs> um, but you did say it was a. It was kind of the or Kyla. You mentioned it was kind of the fringe hippie movement. Well, I will say this because I, you know, it's such a great fun fact. But. Um, she opened the door to one of her, you know, students, uh, I, you know, she was doing this. This is when it was out of our apartment. She opened the door one day and there was John Lennon and Yoko Ono standing there ready to take a class. So it was fringe, but it was also, you know, some people kind of in the know were, were finding out about her, even at the very beginning. My jaw is on the ground right now. Can, can I add a really like awful thing I'm really ashamed about to that story? Please. Which is John Lennon wrote a book, a little book of, I don't know, it was like drawings or something. And when I was little, like six, seven, eight years old, I used to sell books on the sidewalk in front of our building to make money. I was very entrepreneurial. I was, was going to say you had the same model. spirit. Yes. I just, well, yeah, but the thing is I would just take books from the bookshelf and sell them. So I had, my cost of goods was zero. So it was a fantastic business model. And I, he gave my, John Lennon gave my mom, our mom, a copy of his book. And I sold it for like 50 cents. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Oh my 
gosh. almost got kicked out of the house. She was like, I don't care if you're eight. Stop crying. Get out of here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. That is a fun fact I didn't know. <laughs> you're like, that's where that book went. I will. I, to this day, I remember, literally, I remember her saying, you are so lucky he hadn't signed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding, right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, are there any, when, when you think of, I mean, you're sharing such great memories right now, but I was curious of those times in the apartment. Any other, is there another memory for either of you that immediately comes to mind? Anything else? I got one. Yeah, I got another one. So I remember, um, you know, because it was a business, we had a computer. But of course, this is like 1980. And we had a portable computer and our portable computer was called a K-Pro. And it was based, it probably weighed 45 pounds. And it was this, you know, this mass was like the size of Today, what you'd imagine like a large desktop computer case being like that big, and it had a little screen embedded in it and a, and a keyboard that you could flip up onto the top of it. And it had these two big clips that you could go jump, jump, and like attach the keyboard to the big case and this huge handle and you could carry it around. That was the, what was considered a portable computer. And I remember having to lug that computer. I always say, go get the computer upstairs. We need the computer for the business. And I'd go up to our, you know, the apartment we lived in and get the portable computer and just like lug it downstairs to the, to the apartment where the, where the cooking school was. And that was my big kind of contribution was carrying the computer around. But she had some labor with you there. Look, Kyla, you also <laughs> talk about when she wrote her book um, and how, and I think maybe you even yeah. said it in the intro to the uh, vegan the book of vegans, just how tenacious she was because of how she wrote that book. Yeah. Will you? Yes. So we had, when, when she wrote her first book, we had an Apple two E with one five and a quarter inch floppy drive and no hard drive at all. And so in order to run the word processing program, we had a word processing program called PFS, right. And uh, in order to run the program, we had to put the program disc in the floppy drive and run the program and she'd write what she wanted to write. And then she'd say, you know, save. And it would say, please remove the program disc and insert the disc you want to save to. So she'd swap out the program disc with the oh disc, she blank disc you want to save to. And the maximum file size was, uh, I think it was 11 pages. And she wrote a 700 page book in 11 page increments on this Apple IIe in the 1970s. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's some dedication. Yeah. yeah. Commitment. Yeah. She was oh. all in. That's what I'm saying. She was all in just total, yeah. total commitment. And also I want to say there was definitely a little magic in, in regards to the origins or origins of the school and you know how, you know how small business goes. I mean, you have your ups, you have your downs, and she would, she would get funding from, almost like it would come out of the blue. You know, like people she'd meet on the street or just random strangers. And um, it was a, it to me it was, I, I think what I like to describe is like almost a karma business. You know, it just the universe knew that this business needed to keep on going in all mm -hmm. of its iterations. And, um, and so I wish she were here to tell those stories of how she, how she ended up with the funding over the, over the course of the years in, you know, in all her expansions and, and in the, um, the progression of the business. 
So I'm sure Kyla knows a little bit more about those details, but it was, it, it, those stories are also so interesting and just point to the fact that this business had had to continue going. It just had to. Your mother believed in health supportive cooking, as we've talked about, in a time when it wasn't really thought about by many people or, or on the forefront of many people's minds. And, and clearly your mother changed many people's lives and created a space for so many of them to learn and be expansive about, uh, expansive about their food choices and, and how they, they go about feeding themselves and their loved ones. What do you think it is about the way your mother offered this up, this sort of perspective that drew people to it for so many years, especially when you think of like drawing people to, you know, her, her apartment. Like, what do you think it is about who she was and her legacy that sort of drew people to this? Uh, you know, I think she had a few advantages. Um, so first, as you say, you know, your background was in the theater. There's a, a famous, um, uh, guy in Silicon Valley, he's a, he, a, a former Apple guy, now venture capitalist guy, Kawasaki, who talks about if you're a public speaker, it is your job first to inform or first to entertain? And his view is your job is first to entertain, because if you don't entertain, there's no way you'll be able to inform. Our mother was very charming. She was mm. funny. She was charming. She was she was extremely down to earth. She was very relatable. And so she spoke in a way that people could really connect with. I think that's one thing. The second thing is that she took a topic that people have a lot of um, fear, shame, and complexity mm. around, and she made it so graspable, so accessible. So instead of going, oh, uh, you know, I think about, for example, um, the the FODMAP rules, mm -hmm. which uh, no shade on anyone who follows sure, FODMAP. Sure. But I've heard FODMAP 5,000 times and I still, every time I'm like, what is it again? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, our mother mm -hmm. was just like, you know what? Good food should be seasonal, local, whole, traditional, balanced, fresh, and, and delicious. And it's like so easy. Anyone, a five-year-old can understand it. And, it. and yet it is profound in its simplicity. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, there was, there was this thing of going, people could connect with her instantly, understand what she was talking about. And then because she had done so much work, you know, she'd done the PhD, she'd done the research, she understood what sat behind it. There was a huge amount of substance when you dug in. So it wasn't just like, uh, you know, a, a, a guru spouting platitudes that were meaningless mm -hmm. you know she had this kind of easy way to connect and then real depth that sat beneath yeah it. and the um, the seven principles uh, you know of healthy food selection it spans the test of time it uh, you can apply it to any diet including the FODMAP you can you know it doesn't it's sort of like a general guide and it gives people a lot of freedom and um, also just speak to, yeah, she just didn't have judgment about it. It's like, oh, well, if, you know, you could do whatever you want to do. There's no one type of thing that you should follow. There's no, mm -hmm. um, there, and if you, and if you choose to consume fast food every day, you choose to, you know, that's your choice. So she was very steadfast in your health. And the way you approach it is your choice. And that's been a good lesson for me as well. I love that. And I think that perspective of the way you approach it is your choice. And I don't know, there's just a way where, where to have that perspective on it and make people feel comfortable in it. But then as years progress and people start to adapt that and then they see results, like that's just then this like 
added benefit of it, right? Where it's like, oh, well, look, it does work. Those whole foods do work after all, you know? So it's kind of nice to have it start off with this very welcoming approach to it and then actually move into seeing some results as well. That's really great. Yes, yes. She's, yes, and as a result has changed, you know, thousands and thousands of lives. Thousands of life. I mean, I, I read once uh, that she was called a maverick in nutritional maverick nutritional theorist uh, uh because of her original and unconventional and practical points of view about using fresh whole real foods as the basis for a healthy diet and her practices have now become mainstream and celebrated and saved lives and i'm grateful for what your mother Anne marie colvin started in 1977 she's certainly changed my life do you have any final thoughts to share on your mother's legacy for our listeners I would just say, Dustin, I'm so grateful to you for sharing and amplifying that legacy. That's how it continues. This is part of her continuation is right here on this call with the three of us. And um, just really honored that you reached out and delighted to have this conversation. Yeah, 100%. Um, you you are also um, continuing the legacy. So thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate it so much. And I just, I, I'm so uh, honored to meet both of you in person. So Shauna and Kyla, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having us. Isn't that amazing? It's so cool to hear those memories and that story about the John Lennon book. My goodness, could you imagine? I, I mean, I just, I literally can't. I mean, she's she's just so lucky that that book didn't have his autograph. I mean, that's for sure. For real. <laughs> well, now we will get back to our traditional format. This book had several author, authors on it, and I was fortunate to get to chat with the project manager for the book. Now, the project manager for a cookbook is the most important role, I think. Um, the one I work with currently at my current publisher is a dream. I love her so much. Uh, they literally tie all of the pieces together. Together, and they are the hub between the author, or in this case, several authors, and all of the other departments from editing to design. And Alex Scheitzman is our guest. She was the project manager for this book. Well, yeah, but she was, she was more than that because she is also one of the authors uh, and additionally uh, served as a recipe developer and worked closely to make sure the recipes were accessible for the home cook, which she talks about um, in the interview. But she was very hands-on with the food, which doesn't typically fall into the arena of a project manager, right? That's right. Alex Scheitzman is a recipe developer, food photographer, and creator of The New Baguette, a plant-based recipe site for people who are curious about incorporating more vegan meals into their lives. She contributes to outlets like The Kitchen and Food 52. Her work has also been featured in Cherry Bomb, HuffPost, and BuzzFeed. She also teaches food photography workshops and vegan cooking classes. Please welcome Welcome to the Keep On Cooking podcast, Alex Scheitzman. Please welcome to the podcast, photographer, recipe developer, food writer, and creator of thenewbaguette.com, Alex Scheitzman. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. Yes, my pleasure. A little blast from the past, a little pal of mine from the Natural Gourmet Institute days. We're going to start with an icebreaker question here. What fictional sitcom family would you want to be part of? Okay. Um... I'm not a big sitcom gal. Okay. I will say The Office. Amazing. <laughs> that's not really a family, but it's a family in its own way. I love that answer. That's a fantastic, like, uh, uh, a work, dysfunctional work family. Correct. Yes. All the best families are dysfunctional, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Please say yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And now that you said that, I think about it. 
I'm actually, you know, I'm going to keep it in line and I'm going to go with my dysfunctional work family sitcom then, or TV show rather, uh, Parks and Recreation. I want to be part of that work family. Yes, exactly. Those shows are like very similar. Although I never really got into Parks and Rec. I feel like I was so into The Office and then I was just comparing the two. And I'm just like a diehard Office person. Well, so interesting you say that I didn't get into The Office and you're going to be like, what? Until this last year. And then I literally binged it in a matter of weeks. But it's Parks and Rec and The Office are created by the same people. Or not created, but I mean, were produced by the same people, I believe. Um, yeah. But, uh, so that's, you know, in the similarities there. But I watched Parks and Rec first. So you and I were reversed in that. Yeah, I think that what I what's good about those two is there's no laugh track, you know, so it's like, it's just awkward, funny, like you're right. like not told to laugh. And I like that. <laughs> you get to you get to laugh when you actually feel like laughing. We're not manipulated exactly. by it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alex, I first met you after I graduated from the Natural Gourmet Institute, which is now the Natural Gourmet Center. I was working on the first season of my show, The Vegan Roadie, and reached out to NGI. Everyone out there, I'm going to probably call it NGI a lot. That's what we called it back then. Uh, but I reached out for support on the show just to help promote it and everything. And that's when I met you for the first time. What was your role at the Natural Gourmet at the time that we met? I was either, I was working in the marketing department. Um, I don't remember if I was running it at the time or if I was still working with someone, but I, I managed the marketing department essentially. Now we're about to get into the cookbook, but let me ask you the big question I love to know from my cookbook authors here. What is the very first vegan cookbook you ever owned? You know, I think it was The New Nourishing by Leah Vandervelt. Um, Leah used to be the food editor at Mind Body Green, and this was her first cookbook. Um, it's not like a hugely, po- it's like not one of the bigger, you know, vegan cookbooks that people first turn to. Um, but it is so fantastic. I was actually just going through it this weekend because my partner's aunt cooked something from it for us this weekend. Um, And it is just packed with like all the most delicious stuff. It is exactly like the way that I cook for myself on a regular basis. Um, It's just like very simple and flavorful and like not overwrought. (laughs) Um, So yeah, the new nourishing. It's fantastic if you don't know it. What did your partner's aunt make from the book? Do you remember what dish was it? Yes. Um, she made these stuffed peppers. They're super simple. They're just like halved bell peppers and you stuff them with beans, mushrooms, brown rice, put some guacamole on top. It's fantastic. Get it together. I love a stuffed pepper. I didn't like when I was kids. My mom used to make them and I'd be like, I don't want that. But as an adult, I'm into a stuffed pepper. Uh, so let's dig into the Natural Gourmet Center's Everyone, you're going to hear me toss back the Natural Gourmet Center, the Natural Gourmet Institute, and it, the, the, the fact of it is, is it's now the Natural Gourmet Center at ICE, the Institute of Culinary Education. The program has totally maintained its integrity. It's fantastic at ICE. I've been there. I've checked it out. And you're working there now, you said. Are you, are you over at ICE? Um, I am teaching some classes. Fantastic. From time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I taught some classes over there before I left New York, and it's so great to see the Natural Gourmet. Uh, many of the instructors still who worked at NGI when I was there, I saw them at ICE working there. So it really has maintained the integrity of the program as so. Natural Gourmet, still health-forward cooking, still available. It's the Natural Gourmet Center at the Institute of Culinary Education. So that's why this book is The Natural Gourmet Centers, The Complete Vegan Cookbook, Over 150 Whole Foods, Plant-Based Recipes and Techniques. Now, how many people how many people had their hands in the recipes in this book and what was your role in this book so my role was managing the entire project and in a nutshell um so i uh you know copy edited everything um i wrote a lot of the text like a lot of the head notes i tested a lot of the recipes myself and i also managed a huge group of recipe testers who were mostly ngi alumni um and i went through all the recipes to make sure that they would be appropriate for home cooks um so Part of the challenge of writing this book is most, mostly all of these recipes, I would say like 95% are actually from the chef's training program. So they are designed to be cooked in a professional, fully stocked kitchen. So you can use two blenders and a food processor and three yes. giant bowls all to make one recipe because that's what happens in a professional kitchen. There's right. a dishwasher, like you, you know how it is. People, we don't have this at home. So my right. job is kind of to go through things and simplify wherever possible without, of course, affecting the integrity of the, of the dish itself. Um, and I, 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 my title is officially co-author and we had another co-author. Um, her name is Rebecca French, who's a fantastic, um, cookbook author. And she also, um, has a food business upstate. It's called the upstate table in Kingston, New York. Um, and so her and I really managed the whole project together, but of course the recipes are mostly developed by all of the amazing instructors that have worked at NGI for, you know, the 40 something year history. Um, some of these recipes are like passed down from Anne-Marie Colbin herself, who is the founder of the school. Um, and also some of these recipes are from Friday night dinners, um, if you remember what that is. Um, I do, of course. We should tell our listeners what the, the beloved Friday night dinners uh, were at the Natural Gourmet Institute. I will let you explain it. Okay, so uh, F, F and D, as we called them, Friday night dinners, were um, these dinners that we would uh, host on Friday nights, <laughs> and uh, we would open the doors to the school to people from from the outside. So it was basically like a restaurant, um, and you know, you students students cook these dinners, students design the menus, um, and some of these dinners were actually graduation meals um, when when a certain uh, class would be graduating. This was their final project to develop this menu, present it, prepare it. Um, and so they would have their families come to the school and, and we would all share the meal together. It was a really fantastic communal experience. I absolutely loved FND. Um, and so, yeah, some of these recipes are actually student um, developed by graduating students from, from the school's history. So, so cool because it was, it was so cool because it was, it was almost like this little hidden gem in New York city. Like if you knew about these Friday dinners and like you could like, it was just so special and unique. And like, you were always getting a one of a kind experience. And like you say, it's 
a lot of students, like when you were kind of like, oh, if you remember, oh, trust, I remember because that was our stress. Like that was the students. We were like, okay, we're working towards this Friday night dinner. We're doing this big dinner. And ours ended up being really successful. But I'm telling you, it was stress leading up to it. But it was so worth it. It was so worth it. It's such a, it was such a great experience. And being able to bring people around the table. And it, as a student, when you're working so hard on food, and then you get to design this menu and watch people come together and enjoy it for the first time like that, it's a really, really amazing experience both as a diner and someone who's preparing it as well exactly yeah I think that it was the the atmosphere in the room was just amazing um like both from the diners and and what was happening in the kitchen like you could feel that there's a synergy going on and um from from what I would hear you know I went to a lot of these dinners and there would be some regulars who would show up week after week Mm -hmm. and some of these folks would come you know start coming like in the 90s and stuff um I believe I, I don't remember the timeline but yeah some of these people would come for years and years and they would say things like you know we this was one of the only places to get a vegan meal in new york at the time that this started you know Um, which is incredible i mean that was not the case by the time i was there but um that is just amazing it was an amazing event i love that and i i love you were the project manager for this book and this book the the things you're saying about them being accessible for a home cook i will say it over and over again they actually are and i've looked at these i've made many of these recipes but also of course when i got the book i was like okay what will i know i knew so many i was so familiar with so many of these recipes but then as i read through them i was like gosh these really are accessible to the home cook now but not just accessible to the home cook they're accessible with like a flair of education like People really are learning stuff from this book. It's one of the things I love most about this book. It actually does get into the technique of creating whole plant-based foods from sourcing and eating organic when it's best to buy organic or when it's really okay not to, prepping the pantry, commonly used ingredients, alternative sweeteners, the soy controversy, uh, (laughs) vegan egg substitutes, equipment, cooking fundamentals, and even knife skills are in here. And I love how it catches the heart of, of being an educational cookbook while offering these very easy and delicious recipes. And I recognize many of the recipes. What aspect, this is a very vast cookbook for you. What's an aspect of it that is, or an element of it that's one of your favorites? I I mean, exactly what you said. Um, and we worked very hard to include in every single recipe, every head note, which if for those listening, if you don't know, the head note is like the little paragraph that goes above the ingredients and instructions in a recipe. We really work to put something in there in every single recipe that would be educational um, and for, for somebody so that they when they cooked the recipe, they wouldn't just know how to cook that recipe. They would understand the why and how behind it and then take that little nugget and transfer it to their future cooking, you know, adventures. Um, And that's my favorite thing about it. Um, And, uh, you know, the reason we wrote this book is we wanted to, we wanted folks who could not make it to the school for whatever reason, if they lived in a different country, if if it was outside their means, we wanted this philosophy to be accessible to everyone, um, you know, for for just the cover price of 30 something dollars. Um, And so that's my favorite thing about it is that it does make the whole food plant based NGI philosophy accessible to everyone. So great. And the book starts off in chapter one with it's like it's like every it's like every chapter is its own little book in this book. The book starts off in chapter one with plant based essentials. And my goodness, is this chapter ever thorough? We have nut milks, hemp milk, 
almond mozzarella, cashew cream, vegan ricotta, teriyaki sauce, different types of stock, infused oil, salsa, bechamel, pesto, vinaigrettes, barbecue sauce, ketchup, and even pie crust. It's got us all covered. What's a recipe you worked on in this chapter that has maybe become a staple in your pantry? Well, you know, I actually love the pie crust. I was just, I'm working on a recipe for my website right now that uses that coconut oil uh, crust to make a savory galette. Um, As you probably know, as a cook, like making a pie crust is difficult enough when you are using butter. But if you're using coconut oil, it is very difficult because coconut oil is, you know, so fluctuates so much based on what temperature Temperature, it's in. Yeah. So um, I love that that technique of using the pie crust. And like I said, you can use it for sweet or savory things. But of course, we can't talk about NGI essentials without mentioning shiitake bacon. Yes. I cannot take credit for this like at all, not even one cent of the credit. Um, but wow, shiitake bacon. Who, do, you, do you know where, because it's so interesting, you do say, you know, these recipes, many of them, and I remember that being in school there, they've been around for years and they've been tweaked with and re, re, reinvented over the years. But then some of them were like, you know, this was around 30 years ago and, and you're just like, whoa, and it, it holds up and you kind of can't believe someone thought of it, you know, way back in the day. Do you know where like the, sh- who thought of the shiitake bacon? Did, did you ever have any origin stuff that you found out in these recipes where you were like, oh, so-and-so came up with that? For some of the recipes, yes. Uh, for some of them, no. This is just like uh, one of those NGI urban legends or something. Um, you know, multiple people, I think, have claimed uh, that the, the creation of it. Um, but I'm really not sure uh, where it came from. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. it was definitely not me. I can tell you it was not. <laughs> me. <laughs> I know I was in a class with Chef Jay when I when it, we first did it and he just sort of threw it together and we were all our minds were blown, you know. I yes. mean, nowadays I don't know if people's minds would be blown like I mean it was 2014 for me, so I mean it was yeah. just before the, you know, explosion of all the vegan stuff. But anyway, I digress. Snacks and starters is chapter 2. What are a couple yeah. snacks in here that you enjoy the most? Um, okay, so the edamame spread is a favorite. Um, it's basically like you can think of it as an edamame hummus and it's made from frozen shelled edamame. Um, and it's just fantastic for like, if you're having people over or if you're doing a little bit of meal prep and you want to like make something that you can have as a little snack throughout the week without having to buy store-bought hummus, it's fantastic. Um, it has ginger, it has lemon, um, it has a little scallions. It's really good with crackers or, um, like, you know, carrots or cucumbers or whatever. So, and it's also a very pretty green color. Um, and I just feel like when food is a pretty color, it makes you want to eat it more. Um, so that's definitely a favorite. And then also the, uh, on, on the same page, actually the crackers are fantastic. Do you remember making these in school? This was like a pretty staple recipe. I do remember making them and I've actually made the poppy seed crackers from this book, like so many times since I've gotten the book. Yeah, those are fantastic. Yes. So the poppy seed cracker, I think, is a Chef Olivia recipe. Um, Oh, you're talking about like the seed. Isn't there a seed cracker? Exactly. Okay. The seeded mixed grain crackers, are those the ones you're talking about? Correct. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty similar. Like the technique is pretty similar, but these are absolutely fantastic. And again, like if you want to do a little meal prep and 
not buy store-bought crackers um, and have something that's whole food and you can control the quality of the ingredients. These are fantastic. And also when I first like thought about making homemade crackers, it just seemed like such a feat, you know, but it's actually so simple. I was shocked. Um, You do need a food processor and that's really it. And they are so much better than whatever you can buy in the store. And this particular recipe, the base is almonds, um, rolled oats, cornmeal and then to bind everything you have a bit of oil a bit of maple syrup um, and then you can put whatever seeds you want on it like sesame seeds or like something like a fennel seed or a caraway Um, so you can kind of use this as a template recipe and use whatever seeds you like i was gonna say that is similar the other cracker has like oats and sunflowers seeds in it as well that might be like the only difference and and you're so right i couldn't agree with you more you look at crackers and you think i could never make crackers that's like that's gonna you have to roll it out and just be thin it's gonna be like you know i'm not gonna be able but you get it done and it feels like such an accomplishment and i love that you know you know what ingredients in it it's less than 10 ingredients so that you're not eating you know a cracker that's full of a bunch of weird things it really is a fun recipe to make and so great to have on ham. I love in this chapter that there's the use of, we talk about education throughout the book, right? And this is a a little sustainability tool. We use the almond pulp in this chapter to make almond pulp crisp and almond pulp cookies using the almond pulp from the almond milk from chapter one. I think that's so great. Just so many little tips and tricks like peppered throughout the entire book. It's amazing. Yes. And what I love, I'm glad you bring that up because, um, you know, it's been a while since, since I worked on this book and I was reviewing everything before we got on the call. And I, what really struck me is just how homemade everything is, you know, because these days, like now vegan cooking is a lot more common. And so we know these techniques a lot more, like a lot more readily. Um, but I like what NGI did and, and we did in this book is that we made everything from scratch. So the, all of the almond milk that's referred to in the book is fresh almond milk, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, we do offer those sustainability tips for how to repurpose scraps and um, how to reduce your food waste. So yeah, I just love that homemade aspect of it. It's everything in here is like exactly how it would be done in the school. Like you wouldn't buy a carton of oat milk, you know? Right. Right. You'd make it yourself. That was the cool thing. One of my favorite things about NGI was making stuff from scratch, learning how to make basics. That's why the Staples chapter is so cool, y'all, because you really are making stuff from scratch. Um, And it's a very, like, bare bones, basic recipes. It's fantastic. Chapter three is soups and stews. This recipe, this this chapter includes the Chef Elliot Prague's famous miso soup. Uh, It's literally titled Chef Elliot's Famous Miso Soup. This soup is full of vegetables. Uh, live with digestive enzymes and seaweed that's rich in minerals it's famous because he would make it during the the cookie baking class and i'm just gonna shout out chef elliot he was one of my favorites i really loved all the instructors chef elliot's one of my favorites um and he would make it during the cookie baking class the students spend this class we would make the traditional cookie recipe and then we'd start removing the more traditional processed ingredients and replace it with whole food ingredients so you'd be eating a bunch of sugar throughout the day as you're tasting things. And Chef Elliot would serve this soup up and it was the perfect balance to sort of have for the sugar the sugar day, basically the sugar cookie day. It was a nice balance to have during that. It's health supportive, delicious. The miso soup hit the spot. I remember it fondly. Do you have a favorite super stew from this chapter? 
Um, I have several. The one that I'm going to shout out first is the creamy mushroom soup. This is such a simple recipe. I have been making it this season. I actually posted it on my Instagram. Um, I, I did a little Instagram tutorial for it because this technique is brilliant. It's basically a whole bunch of cremini mushrooms that you cook down with some shallots. You add a little bit of sherry if you want. Um, I actually skip the sherry when I do this at home. I add a little bit of um, soy sauce instead to intensify that umami of the mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And then people you add some rolled oats. Um, and when you simmer the whole thing with veg broth and the mushrooms and the oats, the oats break down a little bit and then you puree everything and you end up with like a super velvety, extra creamy, luscious soup that has literally five ingredients. And it's a creamy soup without any coconut milk or any, you know, yogurt or anything like that. Um, it's fantastic. Highly recommend. It really is fantastic. That? And the oats are a little thing I learned at NGI where I was like, wait, what? What is this? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. It's got hot and cold soups. Are you a gazpacho fan, Alex? You know, no. Me neither. Me <laughs> neither. I love the uh, grilled gazpacho, like the chunky gazpacho we have in here, which we didn't call a gazpacho. It's just called the grilled vegetable soup. Yes. Um, and I like that it's chunky. The thing that's weird for me about gazpacho is it's like a savory smoothie. Yeah. And it just, it, it, that just it doesn't jive with me. It's just, I guess it's a texture thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, which is why interesting to me, I don't like gazpacho, but I actually don't mind. And sometimes I actually enjoy the watermelon gazpacho, but I think because it's a little bit of sweet. So I'm like, okay, well, it's like I'm eating a smoothie bowl then almost, you know? Exactly. Yes. Um, the, the, so the grilled vegetable soup, the chunky one that I'm talking about, So yeah, that's what I love is it's not pureed and it's basically a whole bunch of grilled vegetables Mm. and you marinate them in tomato juice and broth and lemon juice. So it's like a tangy, chilled, very refreshing, but also like still a meal because you're actually like chewing on vegetables (laughs) versus just swallowing a smoothie. Um, And this is a fantastic soup for the summer. Now, I haven't tried it, but now after you describe it, I actually do want to try it this summer. So very well done, I will say, because I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I do want to try that. And there's other I great ones in here. Like I, will, I will report back to you and let you know, because okay. I'm very curious to see if I do. I'm always, you know, it's just like me and eggplant don't really get along either. So I'm always trying to be like, well, okay, I'll try this like other thing with it and see. So I'll give this chilled soup a try here. We've yeah. got other ones in the chapter like shiitake broth, smoked black bean soup. The black bean soup is actually one of my favorites from back in school days, I remember. Uh, beet borscht, curried yellow split pea soup. And another cold one, we got a chilled cucumber and avocado soup as well. So lots of soups and stews to choose from. Uh, to choose from the cream of corn soup is one of my husband's favorites. Next, we have the salads and sides chapter. For someone just getting the book, Alex, what is a salad and a side you would tell them to try first from this book? Okay, so the Caesar that we have in here is like sort of another one of those hallmark NGI recipes. Uh-huh. Um, 
Yeah. So this, instead of having like the typical anchovy, we get that sort of oceanic flavor from nori. Um, and the base of the dressing is silken tofu. So it's a really, really creamy, like savory dressing. It's fantastic. You make it in a blender. It's simple. It has these homemade croutons. Um, like I, I love Caesar salad. I absolutely adore it. Um, so that is a great one. But my favorite, I think, from this chapter, well, I, I actually have two favorites of this chapter. The first one is the warm pinto bean salad with shiitake, um, shiitake mushrooms. This was also a very, very popular NGI recipe. I think it was buffet day. Like it was the buffet class and chef's training, if I recall correctly. I don't, I don't know if that rings any you're bells You're correct. For you. Yes, you're totally yeah. correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think this is like a fun way to eat beans that are not like, you know, refried beans or like a chili. I think chili is like a very easy fallback bean recipe. Um, so this has um, some sauteed shiitake mushrooms. It has some diced red onion. It has radishes. So it has like creamy beans, savory mushrooms, little crunchy bits of vegetable. Um, and it's just, it's like a nice hearty salad. It's not just like a bunch of greens. So it's more of like a meal, I would say. And it's definitely a favorite. A, a little complete salad meal, sort of. And I love that you brought up the Caesar salad because I have a memory of that. Chef Barb, Chef uh, Barbara Rich, uh, amazing yeah. chef. She's fantastic. Um, and she was one of those scary chefs. I'm going to say it right now if you're listening, Chef Barb. I know yes. you'd laugh at I, I this. I think she knows it. And I yeah, think she knows it. <laughs> it's part of the gig. It's part of the gig. It's part of her like earning that bit of respect there. But she starts out, she'll she'll scare you uh, just by giving you stone cold looks and you're like, what did I do wrong? Um, and, and I got in good with her, so I felt good. But I remember on this... Uh, this uh, brunch class, the Caesar salad was in it and she assigned it to me. And then she got done. She goes, don't mess it up either because it's one of my favorite salads. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, have I messed this up? And then she liked it. And I was so happy too because I was just like, I knew too. I was like, if she likes this this salad, then like it's got to be a good recipe because she's Chef Barb is not playing around. So, and and she's she was correct. It's delicious. It's one of my favorite Caesar, Caesar salads. It's so good. It has the uh, umeboshi paste in it too that really brings forward that sort of like tangy, salty flavor in it to the forefront. I loved it. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean about, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that when she said that she meant it with as much love as possible because she really does love, I think she was just trying to speak highly of the salad. Yes. I don't think yes. She was trying to oh, for you. sure. You know what I mean? For sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, I yeah. love Chef Barb. I love her. We have a great relationship. Uh, <laughs> weeknight dinners is chapter five. Off the bat, there is a pressure cooker brown rice risotto with asparagus and yuca focaccia, kimchi fried rice, baked falafel bowl, and General So's broccoli bowl. What were a couple of your favorites you worked on from the weeknight dinners chapter? Okay, so I really like the cassoulet recipe. Um, it's obviously a, an unusual cassoulet because it doesn't have, you know, all the pork bits and sausagey bits that you would have in the French traditional version. Um, but it does have roasted root vegetables, um, and it's it's a very simple one because it uses canned beans. Um, it uses store bought uh, breadcrumbs, and so you roast these root vegetables. You combine them with like a tomatoey white bean mixture. You top everything with 
breadcrumbs. Um, you bake it off. And so the inside is like creamy and saucy and the top is crunchy. So it's a really nice like weeknight winter winter recipe that I love. And then I also love the um, cauliflower rice curry with sweet potatoes, uh, which uses cauliflower rice um, as a base. And it has coconut milk. It has yellow curry powder, um, little cubes of sweet potato and chickpeas. And that is like a fantastic meal prep recipe. I make it all the time. You can also freeze it because it makes a huge batch. Um, and like you can take it to work with you for lunch. Um, and it's just fantastic. It's like so rich and comforting. I love it. And the next chapter, we've got the weekend feast chapter. It's one of my favorites. I love a weekend feast. Uh, it's classic from here. I love is the quinoa and stuffed poblanos. I remember making those in class, actually. And I feel like in class, we actually drizzled it with like an avocado sort of like lime crema. And I, it, I don't know if there's, is there anything like that in the book like that? I just, I thought I remember drizzling something. It must have been something we made in the class with it, but I thought it came with a sauce before. I think it did. And I think it was one of those instances where we decided to simplify. Sure. Uh, and so I think that maybe we meant for it to go with uh, one of the salsa recipes in the essentials chapter. Perfect. Which makes total sense. It's delicious. The quinoa and stuffed poblano is so tasty. Uh, there's a baked mac and cheese that's truly so easy to make with an almond base and less than 10 ingredients. I love the barbecue mushroom sandwiches and the pear and leek spelt pizza. This chapter really embodies one of my favorite features of this book is that it's... Uh, it, ha it, it has recipes that are a little more traditional or pedestrian and some that really step out of the box and take on the gourmet factor. What, what about you for the weekend feast chapter? Is there something you love to feast on from here for the weekends? <laughs> yes. Um, I love, first of all, the mac and cheese I think is fantastic. And first of all, I personally don't love like the vegan butternut squash mac and cheese. I know that that's the standard. Uh, and <laughs> it does have the nice orange color. I will give it that, but I don't love the sort of sweetness of it. And I could never sure. get over that. <laughs> and so I think this is another Chef Olivia recipe, Olivia Rushkovsky, who was an amazing, fantastic plant magician. She's <laughs> um, so good. I'm actually going to, do you know what her Instagram handle is off the bat? If not, I'm going to look it up and we're going to give her a shout. She's so amazing. Chef. Olivia. I'm pretty sure it's um, Olivia the chef. I think you are correct. I think you yeah. are correct. It is Olivia the chef. So everybody on Instagram, check out Olivia the chef. Also one of my favorite instructors at NGI. Continue your story now, please. Yes, she yes, fantastic. Um, I, I love her. Um, and yeah, she do. I think she developed this recipe. I don't want to like confuse any uh, sure, where the credit sure. goes in any of these, but I'm pretty sure this was a, an Olivia recipe. Um, and yeah, I like that this uses again that homemade almond milk base um, instead of a store bought milk, and instead of that uh, butternut squash. Um, and so it is rich and creamy, and it's just not. I think this is like a less goopy mac and cheese got you, know? you. 
Got you. Yeah, so if um, if anyone's looking for that butternut squash alternative, um, there you go. Um, but also the pulled mushroom sandwich that you mentioned, I think this was a student um, student project for a Friday night dinner. And these are, this is kind of like a pulled pork alternative made with smoked mushrooms um, that are first smoked, then shredded, then roasted, then tossed in a um, homemade barbecue sauce. It has as a um, kale slaw on top. It is a, definitely a week weekend thing, and it will take you several hours, <laughs> uh, and will probably tire you out. This is not weeknight friendly, but it is so fantastic. Um, really smoky, really has that meaty texture. So if you're looking for like something to impress someone with, this is this is your best bet, I think. Mac and cheese, pulled barbecue, mushroom sandwich. It's all good stuff. That's all hitting at home for me. There's a sweet potato sushi in here with homemade pickled ginger and dynamite sauce that I just love yeah. the idea of sweet potato and sushi. And I took, did you say, you said you took a sushi class. Did you take it with Chef Hideo? Um, I think so. Yeah. Uh, she's so good. I had a private, she came over and I did a private lesson with her once sushi, uh, making sushi. It was an anniversary gift for my now husband at the time. Aww. And it was so cool to like, just get hands on making sushi with chef Hideo. She's so smart and just so talented. And I, I don't know if this was one of her recipes or not, but when I saw a sushi recipe in the book, it just had me re like remembering classes with her and, and then having that personal experience with her too. She's just so great all these chefs are so great yes she's so badass i love her um i took knife skills with her actually for sure um and i think that was the only knife skills class i ever took and she was fantastic and she's also like one of those people who's definitely a little scary yes <laughs> get on their good side but you know it's all love but it's just that chef in the kitchen yeah. personality. <laughs> mm -hmm. She's also hysterical. She's also very funny. Yes. It's, it's yes. amazing. So it's funny as we're talking about all these chefs too, when you think about it, this book is just, it's, it's a, you know, it's a melting pot of all of these talents that came together over the years that have just come together in this one amazing book. And when you think about it like that, you're really buying, like you said, the price point I'm looking at it now is like $35. You're getting years of like, people's blood, sweat, and tears yes. poured into this book. And then you, this project manager, this amazing project manager who pulls it. It's just so phenomenal the way this book came together. But anyways, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself with the big picture here. We're going to talk about weekday breakfast, chapter seven. What's, what's a, a recipe that you worked on from this chapter? Okay. So I'm actually pretty proud of this one because it, it turned out to be the cover and it is the savory yogurt bowl with roasted carrots and spiced pumpkin seeds. Um, we, we sort of, you, you've made books, so you know how this works. Like you don't always know what's going to end up on the cover. Mm -hmm, and a mm -hmm. lot of the time <laughs> the cover is sort of like, thrown together at the last second because you're like oh crap like what are we going to do for the cover unless you have like a specific concept in mind which right. does happen sometimes but sometimes it, the situation is just like we'll see what looks the prettiest we'll see what looks you know what what looks the most enticing on a bookshelf or or what have you so um yeah it was sort of surprising that we um this ended up on the cover and um i'm thrilled i absolutely love this recipe and also um i'm a savory 
savory breakfast person. Like, All right. I'll, yeah, I'll enjoy a smoothie every now and then, but like I'm an avocado toast person for sure. Um, and, and this, and this, uh, savory yogurt bowl, I'm especially obsessed with the pumpkin seeds that go on top. Um, this is actually such a staple of my pantry. I have these in my cabinet all the time. Like I put them on everything. They're just such a fantastic, crunchy little garnish to put on absolutely everything and make anything more interesting. I love and I love this cover, by the way. And I never thought I love a savory or a sweet breakfast, but a savory yogurt is very interesting to me. So I'm going to have to try this. And there's lots of options in this chapter. We have smoothies, granola, pancakes, tofu, scramble, porridge. There's a chia jam in here. So there's something for everyone. And if you're on the savory side, like Alex, you can try out this savory yogurt that's on the cover. Gorgeous, gorgeous cover that I love so much. And then we get into, we've split up the, the, uh, weekend and the, the weekdays again. So we get into weekend brunches, chapter eight, featuring items a little more decadent than the weekend, the weekday breakfast items like peppery biscuits, sweet potato waffles, Johnny cakes and orange currant drop scones. Do you have a brunch item you would suggest for someone to make who just got the book? Yes, definitely the biscuits and gravy. Um, Again, we have the, so the pie crust that we mentioned early on, sort of similar technique. It's a coconut oil based biscuit. Um, It's flaky. It has those fun layers that you want in a biscuit. It doesn't have like any processed, you know, uh, any processed um, like fake butter (laughs) that NGI was not a fan of. Right, Um, right. And um, so you have these biscuits and then there is a peppery fennel flavored um, creamy mushroom gravy. So it's kind of like, a, you know, biscuits and gravy concept with a mushroom gravy. And I especially love that it has fennel because it ha- kind of like mimics that Italian sausage flavor uh, with just mushrooms. That's great. Uh, biscuits and gravy are my absolute favorite and I did I have not even seen these in here so I'm gonna have to go back and and make them I've got so many pages just little post-its on everything (laughs) in here so I mean there's a lot that needs to be done from this book it really is one of those books I'll shout it out like this like if, if you're somebody who's like wants to get a book you can cook through I highly recommend this as a book to do that. Um, I don't ever get a chance to do that because I'm always cooking from so many different things. Uh, But this is one that I would love to just like have on my shelf and flip through and just like continuously cook from it all the time. And I guarantee you, if you do that at home, you're going to come up with some staples that you come back to again and again. Uh, Now, I love the sweets classes at NGI, frozen treats, baked goods, and everything in between. And I love having some of the highlights from the curriculum available in one place in this beautiful book strawberry rhubarb crumble maple almond fudge avocado lime ice cream black sesame ice cream ginger snap ice cream strawberry basil ice cream rolled fig (laughs) cookies zesty lemon cake with whipped lemon coconut cream and the apple galette oh my god the the apple galette what a big day that was at ngi i remember (laughs) we had to take this apple galette exam everybody was so stressed what's a, a sweet treat you find memories of from this chapter um i am just laughing because i've seen so many so uh, when i used to manage the social media for for the school everyone all the students would take photos of their apple galette Uh exam 
And I've just seen like probably hundreds of apple galettes on Instagram. And it just brings back fond memories. It was so dramatic. I remember we had to like, I can't remember the way it was set up, but like, I remember we had to go out in the hall and then we had to sort of like present our galette to the chef. Like it was like a whole thing and everyone, and I think it's earlier on in the program. If my mind, maybe not because we had moved upstairs at that point. Anyways, it was stressful is what I remember. I guess I just feel like school in general is stressful because it's a common theme for me in this conversation so far I'm like oh wait that was stressful but I mean that's that's how it is sometimes when you, you're learning and schooling I guess so so we we have the memory of the galette what's what's another memory you have of a sweet from this chapter oh gosh um I think the coconut lime tart um this is from the uh what was the class called uh I forget what it was called it was like pies and not galettes, um, some, some sort of pie class. Okay. And, um, <laughs> when chef rich got to teach this class, I believe it was only chef rich La Marita who did this, but whenever he taught the class, there were all these different pies and, and tarts. I think it was called pies and tarts, um, in the class in the curriculum and the students would be assigned various but savory and sweet pies and tarts. And then he would go around the room and sort of rate each one. Um, but then the best part was when he would invite all the staff from the school to eat the remains of the pies and tarts. <laughs> um, and that was like the best day ever, <laughs> obviously. Um, there was like a caramelized onion one that was my favorite. Um, there was also like a shepherd's pie in there. But anyway, this coconut lime tart is from there. It's kind of a complicated recipe. Um, it has a macadamia crust and it has a coconut, uh, coconut milk lime, uh, filling, and it has a little bit of shaved coconut on top mm. as a garnish. And for someone like, I'm not a big dessert person and I love this one because it's mostly like tart. It's, it's the emphasis is more on the lime and less on the sugar. Sure. So this is definitely my kind of dessert. I'm feeling like I must have missed this day or something because I feel like I would remember this class and I'm not remembering this tart. Oh, and no. it's, it's okay. I'm going to go back to it now that we have the book. So it's fine. Um, it could have just been that I blacked it out. Like, I mean, you know, there were so many, so many days. I did the program. I did like the, the six month back to back, like do it all at once program. So like, yeah, it was, it's a lot at once, you know, it's, it's, it'd be, I'd be amazed if I remembered everything, but um, so I'm going to go back in and make that. Maybe you blacked it out because you were so stressed. I, I mean, hey, we're t that's where it's all <laughs> landing right now, it sounds like. Uh, yeah. our, our final chapter here is Juices and Brews. Tell, it's a short little sweet chapter, but tell us about this chapter a bit and what it has to offer the home cook. Okay, so this chapter sort of came out unexpectedly, I guess. Um, a lot of the NGI philosophy is taken from other philosophies of f healthy food, for example, Ayurveda or principles of ch uh, traditional Chinese medicine, macrobiotics. Um, and so we found ourselves wanting to include a bunch of recipes that were like sort of tonics and elixirs and that are like less about meals, but more about like little uh, healing like drinks and things you can have when you're feeling under the weather or where you have indigestion. You know, NGI was a lot of, I mean, everything at NGI was about healing through food, which is of course the most magical thing about it. And so we just decided to have a, a chapter of sort of like little drinks and things that were really less about meals and more about like those 
healing moments, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, Call them um, like the the turmeric ginger lemon tea as one of those things. Um, so yeah, that that's what that uh, that chapter is about. I love it. It's so short and sweet. It's a nice little bookend. Bookend. Ha ha ha. It's a nice little uh, <laughs> finisher to the book. I really really yes. love that that it was yeah. part of it. And I do remember throughout the whole uh, chef's training program, there were different beverages that would pop up here and there. You know, it's a health forward, yeah. health supportive uh, cooking school. So it was nice to see these pop up in the book. I, I was really glad for this edition. Well, cheers to health forward beverages and congratulations on being part of this book, Alex. It's such a fantastic compilation and glimpse into what NGI has offered for decades and continues to offer through what is now the Natural Gourmet Center at Institute of Culinary Education. Uh, and if you are listening and want to really get a cook that uh, a cookbook that gets into technique and ingredients for vegan cooking, obviously, if we have not spelled it out for you yet at this point, this book is <laughs> great to start from, uh, good start to finish. So get into it. Now, Alex, are you ready yes. for your rapid fire baker's dozen questions? Yes. Here we go. What are you binge watching right now? I just finished On the Verge. And food on a skewer or a tiny spoon? Um, neither. Okay. On the skewer. I don't like things that are hard to eat and both <laughs> are hard to eat. <laughs> You're like, I just want a fork. Just give me a fork. Yes, just give me a fork and a bowl. I'm not going <laughs> to mess around with your tiny spoons. I love it. I'm, I'm kind of with you. Uh, favorite? <laughs> uh, someone actually sent me uh, a gift recently and it had tiny spoons in it. And I kind of was like, I was like, oh, this is so thoughtful and cute. And then I was like, but I don't know what I'm going to do with these. <laughs> like, I'm not serving food to tiny spoons to me and my, they're super cute. I was just like, oh, okay, well, I got to figure out something to do with these. Now, next question, yeah. favorite kitchen tool. Ooh, um, You know what? I'm going to say, oh God, I'm going to say garlic press because Everybody always hates on the garlic press, and it is a fantastic tool. Garlic presses listening everywhere. Sponsor me. I, I want to sing your praises. Um, you know, it does only one job, but it does it so wonderfully. You don't get that kind of garlicky flavor mm -hmm. anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I, I love you. I'm, I love that you say <laughs> that. I'm going to get one now. I've stayed away from them because I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to like chop it myself. Into I'm getting one now. Gosh darn it. I'm going to get one. Uh, what is on your nightstand right now? Um, you know, I have a, a stack of old Bon Appetits that I need to finish. And also, I just finished last week, Clara and the Sun. Have you read that yet? I have not. It's so fantastic. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it's beautiful. So we have two book recommendations, The Natural uh, Gourmet Sense yes. Cookbook and Clara and the Sun. So everybody, you've got some options now. Uh, yes. Favorite sauce on pasta? Ooh, um, I'm not a big uh, pasta uh, a sauce person. I prefer vegetables, like okay. a vegetable uh, olive oil nutritional yeast. Perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm on board with that. What was a go-to snack during quarantine? Ooh, uh, Mary's Gone Crackers and hummus. Smart. She's snacking smart. Good for you. <laughs> uh, favorite kind of chocolate combination? Chocolate with something. Uh, peanut butter and sea salt. So smart. Uh, favorite spice to cook with? Smoked paprika. Favorite. You're not alone. I'm with you. And that is an oft answer we get often. It's such a good spice. Favorite yes. vegetable and why? Oh, God, I can't choose one right now. I'm ah! going to say <laughs> I'm going to say leeks right now. 
nice. And why do, and why do you like leeks? What's the reason you you like leeks? I just love everything in the onion family. Okay. I like leeks my pasta, and I was just thinking about my leek pasta. <laughs> so and there you go. Delicious, delicious. Uh, a celebrity you want to cook for? Uh, Kristen Wiig. Good one. A TV game show you think you would excel at? Uh, uh, oh, God. Um, can I say SNL? Absolutely. <laughs> what, but you'd excel at sketch comedy then. I love it. Uh, yeah. What is uh, your most used emoji? Um, the little girl in the purple T-shirt that has her hands raised like, I don't know what's the happening. The shrug. I'm the shrug too. That's been <laughs> mine li- like so often lately. And I t- it just started like six months ago. But now it's like I shrug at everything. I'm like, I don't know. Everything's an existential crisis with mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> and your last and final question, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, fashion designer. There we go. And now you're designing all sorts of things. So you're still in line with the creative edge there. That's fantastic. Well, good job. You did it. Thank you so much. That was really fun. Absolutely. You were great. Now tell everyone where they can find you on social media and online. Online, I'm uh, thenewbaguette.com. I'm also at The New Baguette on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook. Um, if you want to keep in touch, the best way to do that is to sign up for my newsletter. You'll get all new recipes sent straight to your inbox. Um, and also, obviously, follow me on Instagram. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much for having me. Being a part of this book is such a huge honor. Being a being a part of NGI was just the greatest. Um, and I'm really happy to to pay tribute to it like this. Oh, my goodness. And it could just I couldn't think of a better person to do it. You it sounded like this aligned so much with like, where you were and what you wanted to do. And you landed at NGI and you got to do all these things and then put your hands on this book the way you have. It's, it's so fantastic. And everyone, you can still find recipes and more at naturalgourmetinstitute.com. And to stay up to date with everything going on at the Natural Gourmet Center, follow the Institute of Culinary Education on Instagram at ice culinary. And of course, if you're interested in attending the Natural Gourmet Center, you can find information on that at www.ice.edu. Now everyone go get the book, The Complete Vegan Cookbook, over 150 whole foods, plant-based recipes and techniques by the Natural Gourmet Center. Now everywhere books are sold. Alex, you're the best. So great to catch up. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting about this amazing, amazing contribution to the cookbook world. Oh, thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you. So great Alex could join us, and I want to mention that I took a one-on-one photography class with Alec, actually, virtually, after we had this interview, and my photography skills have grown tremendously since that one class with her, with just one class. So everyone check out at The New Baguette and reach out to Alex if you're interested in photography classes. Yeah, I, your work has clearly jumped up even better Thanks, with babe. Alex's classes. So, um I mean, what a cool episode, um, you know, and such an insight into the 40-year legacy of of this amazing institution. You know, so amazing that cooking classes started in an apartment in the 70s, and it's become a staple in leading health-supportive cooking, and now offered as a main program at one of the leading cooking schools in the world now, the Institute of Culinary Education, also known as ICE. Yes. Which is so cool. So cool, y'all. Cool, Unintended. like ICE. ICE. 
Nice. <laughs> and I know we always talk about food we've made from the book. My goodness, y'all. And I have really made so much from this book, either when attending the Natural Gourmet Institute or after when I was digging through my files from classes to make things because everything we cooked, I mean, not every single item, but so many recipes we cooked during the chef's training program are in this book. But now that the book exists, I'm also making many, many things from it. One thing I've made many times that we love is those poppy seed crackers. Oh, delicious. Yeah, I know they seem basic, but they are so simple and crispy and easy and delicious. And it's a cracker. And, and it, who doesn't made love a poppy yourself. seed? And it's just a few ingredients. It's amazing. And we just had tonight, we had the yes, mac and cheese did. that Alex talked about. So we had mac and cheese for dinner. What did you think of the mac and cheese, David? Uh, delicious. I love the kind of crunchy top. I love the tangy kind of... Um, cheese sauce that goes with it you know like it's got a lot of a lot of flavor and um delicious and so easy to make so easy to make um speaking of easy to make what do we got for dustin thought you were calling me easy Gosh. i'm about to dustin oh, singing ah well listen i'm going to keep it short and simple a garlic press okay alex mentioned in in the interview and she mentioned that people have a thing against them and i think that feeling maybe came from the natural gourmet institute because i remember i was against one forever after i went to culinary school and then after this interview i was like david i want a garlic press i remember telling you that and you got me one for christmas and my life has changed greatly it's such a time saver and i love it i think the thing in culinary school is we were just focused on well the knife skills I knife skills yeah. so we were like don't use a garlic press you have to mince your own garlic but now i love me a garlic press you can also use another little tip here you can use your microplane as another way to mince your garlic just zest that clove of garlic on there like you would anything else little that's actually a little tip from my my pal chef taryn clayton and miyoko was on one of the episodes and says she has a rock from her garden she smashes her garlic with so there you go lots of tips on getting your garlic crushed smashed maimed and minced without honing any of your knife skills <laughs> You've learned it here, folks. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, well, okay. So that little two-parter, you've made it. So thank you. Uh, and, uh, do all the normal things we ask you to do here and find us on Facebook and Twitter at Keep On Cooking Pod. Yes, we're so happy you could join us today and also maybe yesterday if you needed two settings to get through this uh, long episode. Do us a solid and share this episode today with one person you think might like it. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, keep on cooking and remember... You are the best thing that ever happened to you. This has been a Muzzy Cat production. <laughs>